Welcome to College Football Live, presented by Buffalo Wild Wings. What's different a week later? Uh, Michigan won. Michigan State lost. Of all the preposterous statements that this committee has uttered in eight years, that may be number one. And round and round we go. Here are this week's college football playoff rankings. Brought to you by Goodyear, the most notable movement, Michigan State falling from three to seven following its loss to Purdue. Michigan State now one spot behind Michigan, despite the Spartans beating the Wolverines just 11 days ago. Wendy Nix, Greg McElroy, Tom Luganville, happy to have you with us. Plenty to dissect once again week two of the college football playoff rankings. We will start this afternoon, though, with committee chairman Gary Barta answering the question as to why Michigan now outranks Michigan State. A week ago, uh, it, was, it was discussed that Michigan might be the more complete team offensively, defensively. Every statistic, uh, Michigan's ahead of Michigan State, but the committee certainly uh, gave Michigan the nod. They were undefeated. They beat Michigan head-to-head. What's different a week later? Uh, Michigan won. Michigan State lost. Uh, the, the discussion in the room went back and forth, very similar to what you're doing now, but at the end of the day, uh, we felt as a committee that Michigan uh, was a better team and, and to be ranked ahead of Michigan State this week. Stay tuned. We, we get to watch again next week. Well, stay stay tuned. Maybe the the two most important words we've got here, Greg, because it's interesting. We we saw the head-to-head matchups valued in week one. I understand there's some different arguments this time around, but what do you make of of the Michigan-Michigan State flip-flop? Well, it's ludicrous. And while I understand where Gary Barta stands in saying, well, the offensive efficiency, the defensive efficiency, the playmakers that Michigan has, you are ignoring the result in the field. And all we have to do is go back to 2015. Ohio State, who was coming off a national championship, maybe the best team in college football, but they weren't playing that way. They play against a Michigan State team who beat them that day. And even though we all looked at that Ohio State team and said, well, if they played that Michigan State team 100 times, they might win 95 out of the 100. I think all of us agreed based on the eye test, based on the personnel, based on the future all-pro players that littered that roster. However, the one time they did play, the result indicated that Michigan State was the better team. I'm not saying that you can't feel that way. You might be able to sit there in that committee meeting room, Luke, and say, yeah, you know what? Michigan might be better than Michigan State, but what you're doing is you're devaluing the regular season, and you are disregarding an actual result that we have just 10 days ago. So you can feel however you want to feel, but you can't rank teams based on how you feel. You have to rank them on the results, and the committee fell short of that last night. Yeah, you, you call it ludicrous. I call it absolute insanity. I mean, what, what are we doing here? I, uh, listen, I get when this is something that would have occurred maybe six, seven, eight weeks ago. You and I have done the mock committee before. We know how much they value teams week to week. They value improvement. So, you know, that's a, that's a different set of scenarios. We're talking about two weeks ago, and I just had Michigan State. So I spent a lot of time on that Michigan-Michigan State game. Michigan had no business losing that game, but they did. They did. They had great players. Don't get me wrong. I think they probably got better players in Michigan State. They shot themselves in the foot. They didn't execute well. They fell apart in the fourth quarter. That's on Michigan, all right? So I, don't, I can't see where they've come up with, with this result, especially when they didn't apply it, Greg, to Ohio State and Oregon. Yeah, it feels like they kind of picked some of their criteria based on 
where they think teams are. I mean, right now, you could tell me, well, you, we, we kind of value the eye test. All right, fine. Well, if you value the eye test, perfect. Why is it that Cincinnati, after a very disappointing performance last week, moved up a spot? All right, yeah. if you value the eye test, why is it that Baylor, who played horrible last week, why they only moved down one spot in defeat to a team that just fired their coach? I mean, the eye test is great when trying to differentiate against teams that you can't differentiate against based on their resume and the result of their scheduling. So I, I just think that the committee fell short of what my expectations are, but I acknowledge, too, that this is a thankless job and an imperfect process. Well, it is thankless, except let's give the committee credit. They got you two to agree on one thing, so they, they did manage that. Now, look at this, because this is what the Big Ten East is facing. Ohio State sits atop the Big Ten East, but each of its remaining three games are against teams ranked in the CFP Top 25. Purdue, Michigan State, and that school from up north. Our FBI gives the Buckeyes a 74% chance to win the East Division. Another standout from last night in the second college football playoff rankings, there was notable movement. We talked about that in the top seven, but still Oklahoma remains number eight, and this is despite a 9-0 record. Oklahoma looking to boost its CFP resume by getting a win over number 13 Baylor on Saturday. I believe the argument was made, Luke, that there was no signature win, marquee win, if you will. But th this one's a little hard to explain given they're an undefeated team playing against uh, some quality opponents. Well, they're playing against Power 5 opponents for the majority of, the, of their schedule. Cincinnati has is, is not done that. And you know, Lincoln Riley keeps having to get up to the podium and apologize for winning. Listen, Oklahoma hasn't been pretty at all times this year. But guess what? Have you looked at college football each and every weekend? We're seeing that with just about everybody outside of Georgia. But I'll say this. If you're really basing it on what you see from each and every week, and it's like a puzzle. They say it's a puzzle. you got to pull the pieces out each week and put them back together. If you didn't watch the Texas Tech-Oklahoma game and think that Oklahoma looked like they might be hitting their stride, you are crazy. I mean, Caleb Williams was outstanding. The defense created negative plays, turnovers, sacks, pressures. Oklahoma starts making a nice run, a nice push. Had to play nine weeks in a row. Now they have the bye, Greg. They've got three difficult opponents coming up. But to have them sitting there at eight and Cincinnati's at five, that's a tough one for me to swallow. Completely understand your sentiment. I actually think Oklahoma's in great shape. They're fine. It's a completely backloaded schedule, and I'd be willing to go as far as to say that they're going to make the college football playoff. I know it might not seem that way right now, but I'm assuming that Georgia beats Alabama. I'm assuming that there's some chaos that happens in the Big Ten, and when you look at Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State, if you can somehow go 3-0, and Throughout the rest of the regular season, that's three wins against teams that I have a ton of respect for. Iowa State's not ranked, but the other two teams are ranked in the top 13, and I have a ton of respect for each one of those three teams that they have left in their schedule. Couple that with the fact that you might have to face them again in a Big 12 championship game. So I think Cincinnati has a lot of work to do for sure, but I think Oklahoma's in prime position to make a run given the chaos that I expect to happen in other leagues. 
Well, listen, we referenced Cincinnati. They were certainly a hot topic after the first week of rankings. Here's what Mike Oresco had to say, of course, the conference commissioner, about what he feels like is a little unfair pressure on the Bearcats. He says there is unfair pressure to get style points that Power 5 conference teams are not required to produce. We asked the selection committee for consistency, nuance, and fairness, and we are not getting those things. You know, Lugs, I have a feeling you're going to disagree. I, I do think he has a little bit of a fair point here, but I know there's two sides to this coin. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on there being an, an unfair bias here? Well, I, I think that they're looking at this from the wrong perspective. I shared with you last week, they should be looking at this from a glass half full perspective because the committee knows the teams that they have ranked in front of them are going to start cannibalizing themselves. It's going to take care of itself. So it doesn't matter how Cincinnati wins, just win. Because you're going to have some issues, as Greg just mentioned, up in front of Oklahoma, and Oklahoma's in a good spot. Well, so is Cincinnati. But it's a tough pill for people to swallow when the teams that you are playing week in and week out, I know they beat Notre Dame on the road. I know they beat Indiana. Indiana has not turned out to be a great football team. But it's not just the teams you're playing, Greg. It's also the environments that you're playing in. And the American Athletic Conference is down this year. So I think Mike Oresco needs to sit back at times and look at where this thing is and where they sit and kind of just sit there like this going, hmm, we could be just fine if Cincy takes care of business. Yeah, not all close wins are created equal. I would say that playing against a team like LSU by Alabama where they played them close is not the equivalent to playing 3-6 and six Tulsa or 2-7 and seven Navy or 1-8 and eight Tulane. I think Cincinnati's going to make the playoff. I actually believe that because I think Oregon's going to lose to Utah at least once. They play them twice more than likely here in the next four weeks. So I think Oregon will take care of itself. They'll be out. I think the Big Ten could cannibalize itself. I think Chalk is going to fly because I think Georgia will beat Alabama and or A&M, whoever they play in the SEC championship game. So I think Cincinnati's going to make it. They need to quit complaining and quit also playing to the standard of their competition. You can tell me about pressure. Give me a break. What's hard? Yep. I mean, pressure. You played three teams that combined to win six games this year in the last three games what what pressure are you referring to play to your standard and if you play to your standard this thing will take care of itself well i knew there was a reason we worked together for four years yeah see i told you it's all kind of agreement today and look i I, i'm not sure i will say this i I understand where he's coming from i just don't know that it's helping anything right now i think to your point sit back let this thing play out and what seemed impossible a week ago now seems like, you know what, Let, it, this, this could happen. Let, let's see. Uh, don't forget, by the way, to go and vote to, to tell us who you think will be the Dr. Pepper one final team. You can do that by using the hashtag one final team. It'll be here before you know it. Still to come, we're talking punting. Don't get mad at us. San Diego State's must-see punter Matt Ariza. Find out also the special talent Lane Kiffin gives him an edge in SEC stadiums. I didn't learn it. I just have it for some reason. College Football Live is presented by Buffalo Wild Wings. And in part by Allstate. Save money like a champion with Allstate. You are watching College Football Live, presented by Buffalo Wild Wings. 
Matt Ariza is maybe the best punter in the country. And he gets into this one. This is an absolute huge punt. It lands at the 18. It rolls to the 14. Down to the 12. Ariza booms it. Man, is he good. If you haven't had a chance to catch a San Diego State game this season, first of all, they're a good team. But you're also missing one of the best punters, as you heard there, in college football. And Paolo Getty joins us now. He's got an article out on ESPN.com profiling Matt Ariza, who's getting a lot of attention with those 80-yard-plus punts. That'll go viral in a hurry, Paolo. But tell us about his method and also how he got here. Well, thanks for having me, Wendy. I think it starts for him back when he was just a four- or five-year-old kid going to soccer games and soccer practices with his dad early on. His dad would just have him kick over and over again, and that's how he developed that leg strength. Then as he kind of got older, he realized, I don't have to stick with soccer anymore. I can do this for football, and I have a better future at it. So he started tweaking his routine. He started working on it a little bit more. He says he looks at it a little bit like a math equation where he kind of needs to break down exactly how many seconds he has when he has the ball before he punts it off. And he's constantly tweaking. He's constantly working at it. He compared it to a golf shot, you know, where sometimes he might need to regress to go ahead. But he's been able to really focus and do what he's been doing this season, which is have the best punting season in the country. It's pretty fun to watch. I heard he's a pretty good golfer as well. Paolo, thank you. And you can see the whole article out right now on ESPN.com. Meanwhile, wherever Lane Kiffin goes, offensive production seems to follow. Before he had Ole Miss leading the SEC in yards per game, he was revolutionizing the offensive side of the ball for the Crimson Tide. But what's interesting is he has a special talent, and it's one that's often been in the mix and led to some pretty big plays. Our Ryan McGee has the story. When you mention the name Lane Kiffin, everyone thinks of the clipboard toss. That now legendary visual of Kiffin throwing his play sheet 30 feet into the air as Elijah Moore streaked the pay dirt. When you're seeing really excited on the sidelines or throw something or run, it's usually because it's something that we changed. I equate it to like you see people play video games, you see kids throw the remote or something like that. They're most excited when they make a play happen. And it's like, Basically, I'm playing a video game with the players. But what button does Kiffin push to make it happen? Did you hear it? Let me turn the crowd down. God gave me a whistle for SEC stadiums. It's all about getting attention to change a play or to move a split, you know, or somebody's lined up wrong. I didn't learn it. I just have it for some reason. Pretty sure that's what you call a gift, a talent. You see, it kind of broke right now with it. I, I can't, I don't know how you do it. Like, that's the best whistle I ever heard in my life. You can hear it through all the crowd noises. You don't know where it's coming from. You just hear it. Touchdown, Rebels. I've spent 40-some years yelling and screaming, trying to get guys' attention, and don't. When you can whistle, which I can't, it's effective, and he uses it effectively. There are plenty of people who whistle while they work. They do it in gym minds. They do it in referee stripes. But there's only one guy who, when he does it, you can hear it over 90,000 people. And that one very loud chirp has been worth a lot of yards and a lot of points. You hear him whistle, he, he, he cooking something up. So you better turn your head around. Kevin's a genius, man. Kevin's a genius. We knew when he whistled, oh, it's about to be touchdown. 
Don't think twice and get ready to smile for the TV because it's about to be a bomb and a touchdown. You have to give this one to Lane Kiffin. I, I got to say, you cannot do it any better than that as an offensive coordinator. The plays produced by that football fight have sent players and fans into a frenzy from Bama to Ole Miss. But maybe the most impactful Blair in ball came on November 8th, 2014 in overtime. Baton Rouge, Saturday night, Alabama and LSU. The ball was on their like five yard line and Blake Sims at quarterback and trying to audible versus press man and got his attention. That's all I heard. It was like no crowd noise, no nothing. It was just the whistle and then I just looked back and he just ice, ice, ice. That's just a slant from the outside and a fade from the slot. And Alabama in overtime. These days, Kiffin's call emanates from Oxford. Heisman candidate Matt Corral quickly picked up on it. Problem is, so has everyone else. Now we've even gotten a level that we have to fake whistle because now they know the whistle means you're changing, so now they start audible. So now we actually have to whistle and not change plays. It's a cheat code. It's like playing with 12 guys on the field. It gives you a lot of confidence. The whistle will always be legendary. No word yet if they'll whistle while they work, but college game day will be in Oxford this week. To hear it, catch Ole Miss facing Texas A&M, 7 o'clock Eastern on ESPN. You can call them the spoiler makers. Purdue has already taken down two AP top 10 teams this season. The question now, will the Buckeyes be the next to fall? We'll look at the keys to this game and avoiding the upset next. College Football Live is presented by Buffalo Wild Wings. We kick off college football Saturday on ABC with two Big Ten games. Jim Harbaugh, number six, Michigan in the Happy Valley to face Penn State. That's at noon Eastern. And then Heisman hopeful C.J. Stroud and number four, Ohio State host upset-minded Purdue at the shoe. And here's what I mean by that. Purdue, no stranger to playing spoiler maker, if you will. They knocked off second-ranked Ohio State in 2018 by 29 points, and they handed the Buckeyes their only loss that season. Then earlier this year, Purdue, well, they went on the road and forced four turnovers in a 24-7 win against number two Iowa. That, by the way, snapped the Hawkeyes' 12-game winning streak. They weren't done. There's a trend here. Just last week, the Boilermakers handed number three Michigan State its first loss of the season. Aiden O'Connell threw for 536 yards, 217 of those going to David Bell. So they have a history of this, recent history, I would add, Greg. How does Ohio State avoid the upset here? Well, Ohio State has to do a few things. Got to run the ball with more efficiency. Right now, Travion Henderson last week against Nebraska really struggled to get anything going. I mean, they just weren't consistent along the offensive line. They were without their right tackle. And as a result, the run game was kind of non-existent, relatively speaking. So they got to be able to be more explosive there. And they got to be better in the red zone. The last couple weeks in the red zone, Ohio State against both Penn State and against Nebraska really struggling, averaging less than 1.8 yards per play. 
against those two opponents when they get inside the 20s. And that's really on the run game. And if they're not going to run the quarterback, Luke, they've got to figure out a way to be able to creatively move the ball when the yards get very difficult to get. So that's what Ohio State has to do. On the flip side, if Purdue wants to continue this trend of shaking things up, Luke's what, what can help the Boilermakers be successful? To continue to value the football on offense and take it away on defense. Since that Iowa contest, I, uh, Purdue defensively has ha, been on a fantastic run creating turnovers, but it's really down to quarterback Aiden O'Connell. If Aiden O'Connell protects the football... Purdue's going to be in pretty good shape. I mean, he can flat-out throw it, but you take a look at the two losses and you look at the turnovers from his perspective. Now, you add that to a team, Greg mentioned Ohio State struggling the last couple of weeks in the red area. Up until this last game versus Michigan State, Purdue had struggled in the, in the red area. They were fantastic in West Lafayette last week. So Aiden O'Connell protects the football. The passing game gets rolling. And I think there's one common denominator here, Greg, is – Neither team's actually been able to run the football. So quarterback play is going to come at a premium. Listen, guys, let me ask you this before we go, because after week one, you know, we got all upset about the rankings. We talked about it. Things sort of shook out. There were upsets. You think we see that again? Who's the team to lose that shouldn't, Greg, if you had to pick one where we say, okay, next week, well, here we are again. I think Oklahoma's going to lose to Baylor this week. <laughs> I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but Baylor, after their performance last week, I think Oklahoma, Baylor's really good at home. They can run the football. I think Gary Bohannon plays a smart game this week, unlike last week. I think Baylor bounces back. I think Oklahoma blows it. We'll see. <laughs> wow, How about Brennan I put you Armstrong? On the spot, but you, no sitting defense. Go ahead. Brennan Luke. Armstrong at go. Virginia, Wendy. There you go. Thanks for joining us. We're back tomorrow, everybody. See you then.